I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. I'm into sci-fi, you know, up to a point. I have time for dystopia fiction about where technology is taking us. I like the Netflix show Black Mirror. I'm going to sue Selma Hayek for, like, passing herself off as me. She has no right to do that. Well, it's not really Selma Hayek. The show deploys a digital likeness of Ms. Hayek. It's generated by some kind of super advanced, deep fake quantum computer mumbo jumbo. What can you do to erase this image from every machine in the world? <clears throat> Nothing. Been a big Charlie Brooker fan for a while. Anyhow, I like thinking about the future, the near future even. All these stories about what happens when AI gets so smart that we have to fear it. All these stories about AI figuring out how to travel through time. AI figuring out how to create human beings that are like better than real human beings, robots, Skynet, versions of you, afterlife AI, everything predicated on the notion of AI overtaking us in intelligence, becoming too smart. We have to worry about it. But what about dumb AI? The AI that we have now, the AI that a lot of us met for the first time last year, AI that draws the wrong conclusions, AI that's just trying to tell us what we want to hear or AI that gets facts wrong, AI that is stupid 
but increasingly powerful because we have decided in a real hurry to give AI a lot of power. Shouldn't we be afraid of that artificial intelligence as well? Today, reporter Sheree Sucharan brings us a story about that, a story from halfway across the world where dumb AI got it wrong and thought that somebody was somebody else. And because that dumb AI was given power by humans, well, it messed up the lives of both of those people pretty badly. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Rowena Patterson, Lorraine Hutton, Lily May, Terry Davidson, Kareen Jerzecki, Nicholas Hepner, Aidan Albert, and Liam. Hey, my name is Liam. I am a musician currently based in Vancouver, and I support Canada Land because I enjoy all the shows that they make and how they kind of make things that are usually pretty boring kind of entertaining. And also Jordan Cornish is my personal favorite journalist in the country. So of course I had to subscribe to Commons, which I think every single Canadian should probably listen to at least a little bit. On YouTube, there's this odd interview with Middle Eastern activist Esrael Shafi. It's from 2011, and it's by TEDx Amsterdam. In the video, you see the interviewer's face, but when it pans to Ezra, the camera shows only a close-up of her hands. And for the entire interview, she's in the room talking to the interviewer, but you don't ever see her face. What would happen to you if we did film your face, Ezra? I will be in, in more danger. I would feel in more danger because the work that I do is extremely controversial, especially I deal with ethnic and religious minorities and with a lot of taboo topics, which are not very allowed. So um, I take extreme caution with um, my physical appearance. In fact, Esra's face isn't anywhere in the video or on the TEDx website. It's not on social media, in news articles, or anywhere on the internet, actually. That's because Ezra al-Shafi has kept her image off the internet entirely. When we use the internet for many communities, it is literally the difference between life and death if you're not protecting yourself online. My specific participation is in the context of human rights and censorship circumvention, which is something that is very frowned upon by my governments and many other governments around the world. I mean, literally to obtain a SIM card in Bahrain, I have to have all my biometrics data taken, and that information has to be constantly refreshed. There used to be a time where just to obtain access or own a domain, you have to clear that by the Ministry of Information in Bahrain. Esra al-Shafi is an activist based in Bahrain. She spent her life online. She founded Majal.org, a network of platforms that help amplify marginalized voices in the Middle East and North Africa. Among other things, she's won the Berkman Award for Internet Innovation, was on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, was a fellow at the MIT Media Lab. And she's now had a protocol safety for XMTP Labs. And all this time, she's kept her face off the internet. Because to reveal it, would mean putting yourself at risk under Bahrain's authoritarian regime. 
My anonymity is an extension of my privacy. And I feel that for a lot of the type of work that I do, it's really focused on human rights advocacy. And sometimes I like to push the boundaries of what I can do online. And I feel with that, it is really helpful to maintain an anonymous presence. For example, doing work with the LGBTQ plus communities, this is not really something that's welcome in my country or in many neighboring countries or sometimes even my family. Privacy is our dignity. Without privacy, there's really nothing that belongs truly to us. Our privacy is an extension of who we are. So my work has always revolved around privacy as a human right because I do see it as one of the most core aspects of our human rights. For a long time, this plan worked. Esra would use an illustrated drawing as a stand-in for images of herself when needed. There were no actual pictures of her face online. But in a twist that could rival a Black Mirror plotline, that all changed one day. She started getting messages that an image had surfaced on Google search under her name, a real image of a person. Everybody started using it as evidence that, oh, this is the person that's actually behind this and that content. Except that the image wasn't of Esra. It was of another person, someone Esra knew from her field of work. The person didn't know how this was happening either, and they didn't want to be mistaken for Esra because they didn't engage in the type of work that Esra did. That's really how I found out about it is because also this person came to me and said, hey, are you aware that, you know, they are basically misidentifying me as you and vice versa. That person was not doing certain work that I was doing, which is somewhat more controversial and sensitive. People are constantly facing issues that are very similar to mine that is causing a great deal of distress, including people losing their job for posts that they never issued, for pictures that they never posted, for things that they never said, and it's being attributed to the wrong person. So my privacy is obviously important to me, but what's even more important to me is making sure that because of my choices, I'm not implicating somebody else, and somebody else is paying for the mistake of my statements or my work online. So while Esra and her mistaken counterpart tried to find out how this happened, Esra's name and this picture continued to spread. You become aware of it really quickly because it's like immediately you search online, people start tagging you and things, people start mislabeling you, people start associating you with things, and you just get all these notifications at once, and it becomes extremely overwhelming to know even where to start. So how did a picture of one person end up being stitched to a completely different person? And how did that end up on Google search? The answer is metadata. It's the data about the data. It's baked into digital material like images. And it came back to an article that mentioned Esra and this person. Yeah, so what happened was there was metadata, you know, and there was my name associated with the speaking engagements that I had given. And there was another person who was an attendee who was mentioned in the article but had nothing to do with my work. And what ended up happening is that all the AI tools out there was incorrectly pulling that person's images and voice and associating it with my name and my work, putting that person in danger. Since AI needs information to learn from, there are programs that are crawling for information on the web all the time. 
So if a name, even a wrong one, ends up being attached to an image's metadata, and if an AI crawler saves that image for use in things like facial recognition or other data sets, well, that further entrenches the misinformation. Did you end up getting it corrected? Yes, it it took a long time. I would say it was almost like a full-time job. You just had to continuously go and go after the sources before it got out of control. Um, And we didn't know where to start. I mean, it took us many, many weeks and we had to speak with many different people. We had to, you know, go to lawyers, you know, and basically saying that, hey, this is like, at, at this point, this is illegal. So we had to tackle it from multiple angles. Did you ever figure out which was the like initial AI or the initial program that, that mislabeled you? I have no idea. A lot of people try to find out and they had no idea. We just knew that it was like some kind of AI crawler and then... Other, you know, AI tools can pick it up and other, you know, crawlers will pick it up and it just goes from there. Esra's story is a real-life example of the negative impacts we're seeing with the widespread use of artificial intelligence when it makes not-so-intelligent mistakes. It seems like if we want to protect ourselves, we have to protect our data, which has become seemingly impossible The tech industry uses huge data sets to train its AIs, and there are crawlers constantly scouring the web to find that information, sometimes regardless of who owns it or where the data is coming from. We're talking social media posts, messages, even people's Alexa conversations, all being scraped by AI companies. This type of data mining with zero regulatory oversight is extremely dangerous because once it's processed and stored in centralized servers, there's no telling where this information will get exposed and misused. This mass scooping up of data is even affecting the journalism industry, resulting in this recent lawsuit. The New York Times is taking OpenAI and Microsoft to court. It's filing a federal lawsuit today against the maker of ChatGPT over copyright infringement. The Times says that millions of articles published in the paper were used to train automated chatbots that now compete with it as a source of reliable information. Right now, many countries, including Canada, are in the middle of making new rules and regulations in response to these growing concerns about AI. And the Canadian policy is something that ESRA has kept a keen eye on, even all the way in Bahrain. That's because what Canada does has repercussions around the world. Absolutely, because I can use services and providers based in Canada that impacts me all the way in Bahrain. If I use a server that is located in a specific country, I'm subject to that country's regulations. That includes the platforms that I run, But it's also the fact that my data, everything that I do online, is exposed to many other companies. And those can be based in Vancouver, those can be based in San Francisco, in Berlin, in London. So everything is intermingled. At the end of the day, when using the web, all of us are impacted. So AI is evolving every day. And we might be running out of time to get this right. Unfortunately, Canada doesn't have the most stellar track record trying to regulate big tech. So the question is, can we do this? Can we put up barriers against AI? Or have we given it too much power and are now at a point of no return?
This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. At least one expert says it is possible to chart a different path. But we have to start at the very beginning by asking ourselves, how did we get here in the first place? Bianca Wiley lives in the world of technology and AI. She's worked for years in the tech sector. She founded the Open Data Institute Toronto, is a senior fellow at the Center for International Governance Innovation, and she founded Digital Public. And in her work with the AI industry, she says one thing is clear to her. The allure of AI has taken people to a different planet. I think part of the adventure of trying to work on this topic is you keep one foot in reality and one foot on this sort of planet Zorgon place where everyone's talking about things that aren't using proper nouns. It's sort of like a contact high. Like if you walk into the the rooms where people are talking about artificial intelligence, they're not on the planet anymore. She says it starts with the very term artificial intelligence. She believes that the phrase is mostly marketing. If you call it artificial intelligence, sort of mystifies what is fundamentally advanced computational statistics. Like if you were going to call artificial intelligence something, it's much more advanced computational statistics than it is anything to do with intelligence. You get a whole bunch of data. Right. So what that data is could be a lot of things. It could be the text that's all over the Internet as people stuff or images or whatever else. So first, there's a whole bunch of data. And then there's the system, which is part of the the mathematics and, of course, the hardware and the infrastructure um, to take that data and to look for patterns and um, inferences and then to take that and, you know, 
put it into the future. It's pattern matching. So there are some people out there who would argue that AI is indeed intelligent. So that idea is up for debate. But there's no doubt that the ability to make decisions and even generate content at a high speed is a pretty useful thing in many sectors. But when we talk about AI in Canada, like, can you give us a sense of what is being developed here? Like, what are they trying to regulate? What are the companies, what sort of products are they creating? In Canada, you're probably going to find sector by sector that there's artificial intelligence, you know, legal services, artificial intelligence, healthcare, artificial intelligence, financial services. There's not really a sector that won't have a little batch of startups that have taken that sector and said, we're going to AI it. So those are a, a few of the pieces that feed into the question of what's happening in Canada. AI's decision-making capabilities are quickly being integrated across the country. For example, the Ministry of Immigration, Citizenship and Refugees has announced their use of AI to screen temporary resident visas. The Winnipeg Police Service announced plans to purchase AI software capable of analyzing large amounts of video footage. And Air Canada is now piloting a facial recognition program that would screen passengers before boarding without a passport. But advocates have been saying for years the integration of AI into society can and will have harmful and discriminatory effects because AIs are based on existing patterns. Esrael Shafi. I would say that a lot of advocacy organizations have been pointing to this, and I think people are finally beginning to listen as a result of the more recent examples of how AI not just may harm, but is actually actively harming people. According to a Stat News report, United Health pressured its medical staff to cut off payments for seriously ill recuperating patients in lockstep with a computer algorithm's calculations. Mortgage and insurance companies have started to employ artificial intelligence as a way to streamline the underwriting process. If the data that you're putting into the AI reflects discrimination, then I guess you can't sort of get rid of that bias. Is that the idea? You're absolutely right. I mean, garbage in, garbage out. And we consider racial bias and historic racial discrimination in the United States to be part of that garbage in. And as a result, we're beginning to see lawsuits, including class action lawsuits. Google today is facing lawsuits over AI data scraping because they updated the privacy policy to allow the usage of our data for AI training purposes. We have no idea what this data would include. Elon Musk says that XAI will use tweets to train its AI models. But it's not just the obvious violations of our privacy that have been happening. Bianca Wiley says that there are also the ways that society has been changing around AI in ways that will creep up on us before we actually have a chance to understand what's happening. There's a term that was used by a journalist who wrote about Tesla years ago. And they called it the moral crumple zone. And what they were, were describing was that place between this is automated, the car, or you're driving the car. And with a lot of automation, what the push is going to be for the worker is you're not doing this task, so you're doing customer service. But when someone's going to be held accountable, when the car crashes, you should have had your hand on the wheel, right? So you become the moral crumple zone because you need someone to pin accountability on with these systems. 
And there will always be that. And so what the shape of a worker's life is going to increasingly look like if this goes in a way that it's sustainable from an economics perspective is that your job is going to be to babysit automation or babysit capital. But if something goes wrong, it's your fault. This episode is also brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether you are just starting out or managing a growing brand, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website. How do they do it? How do they make it so easy for any dullard like me to create an excellent website? They do it with something called the Fluid Engine a next-generation website design system from Squarespace, never been easier for anybody to unlock unbreakable creativity. You start with the best-in-class website template. You customize every little detail. There is a drag-and-drop way of just plugging your own information in, and then you have an incredible website. So listen, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. When you are ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash CanadaLand. That'll get you a discount. 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash CanadaLand. So we've got AI being used at every level of Canadian government and example after example of violations of privacy and other harms coming as a direct result of AI usage. But now there's been an attempt to rein some of that in. This is Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, Francois-Philippe Champagne, in September in the House of Commons. Bill C-27 proposes robust guardrails for the responsible development, deployment and use of AI systems. Canada is one of the first jurisdictions in the world to propose a legal framework for AI. So C-27 is actually a privacy bill, and the part with AI is called the Artificial Intelligence and Data Act, or AIDA. And it's pretty limited in scope. It only applies to AI and what they call high-impact systems. I called up Michael Geist to help explain it to me. He's the Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa, and he's an all-around tech policy commentator. I was looking through the bill, and it seems that it's meant for what they call high-impact systems, but... I guess to me, it's not clear what that means. You're not alone. Uh, and, and I think that there are a lot of people that come away with that. There is an attempt to say, well, we know there's lots of AI systems where if we're going to think about regulation, we need to focus on what we think of as high impact systems. But the government isn't all that clear necessarily, at least at this stage, on what that might be. So Ada has caused a bit of drama in the Canadian tech world because experts are split on it. It's this fundamental question of, do we go ahead with something imperfect so we have it quickly, or do we hang back and wait until we can get it right? On the side of, let's just get on with it, there was this one group of tech experts who published an open letter in March. Benjamin Prudhomme signed the letter as an individual. Professionally, he's the vice president of policy, society, and global affairs at MILA, which is an artificial intelligence research institute based in Quebec. But he's speaking from a personal standpoint when he describes why he thinks we have no time to waste. Personally, I believe that it is vital that Canada has a bill to start addressing some of the harms that AI could be causing and already is causing. I just want people to remind themselves that if this doesn't go through, you might be looking at a country important as Canada in the AI ecosystem that has 
literally more tests to put a sandwich in your pharmacy next door than to put out an AI system. But on the other side of this debate was another open letter signed by another group of tech experts. That letter said the challenge AI presents to human rights isn't addressed by C27, and we just need to start over. Bianca Wiley signed this letter, and she argues there's a fundamental flaw with the whole legislation, one that will never lead to solving the issues we're up against. And it's because the ministry responsible for it, the Ministry of Innovation, Science and Economic Development, called ICID, are also supposed to be supporting the industry. ICID oversees something called the Pan-Canadian Artificial Intelligence Strategy, whose stated goal is to drive the adoption of artificial intelligence across Canada. And they've distributed almost $500 million to ensure that happens. When this was launched, there was a lot of uh, desire to do this quickly. And this is so simple, it's almost boring. But if you go back to the Pan-Canadian Artificial Intelligence Strategy, the mandate of ICID is to increase the number of jobs in AI, the earnings in AI, like their whole mandate is for more AI to be used and to grow the sector. Like the calls coming from inside the house here, like these are people responsible for supporting the growth of the AI industry itself. And I should say, there's nothing wrong with that as an objective, but there is something wrong with pretending that we're regulating because we're worried about a whole bunch of harms if what we're actually worried about is getting this industry stood up. There's a law being written in Canada right now. Like this is a real house of cards situation in terms of like we're, we're scaffolding all this complexity out into the world based on the hope that it'll make some money for the country. Bianca says doing an examination of where we are and where we're going is the key. And she has this idea. She says if AI is based in existing patterns, patterns which repeat inequalities that exist in the real world, in order to chart a better future for society, we need the opposite. We need anti-patterns. Instead of relying on technology based in the past, Canada needs to contend with what we actually want for the future. These technologies, they trap us in the past because everything about them is premised on what happened before. And if there's anything we know, it's that we don't need more of what we're doing that got us here. We actually need anti-pattern. We need to do the thing that isn't from before. We need to change, right? We need to change so many of our systems and so many of our sectors and our economy and capitalism and the way we're approaching climate crisis. So the government has people in charge of the industry, also in charge of protecting us from the industry. I mean, there's no denying the sheer amount of money flowing into and out of AI development. But legislation isn't the only thing in our toolbox to help us chart a safer world with AI in it. Bianca says the answer is already there. It's in things that already exist. You can look at the technology, the thing with which the harm is done, of course. But you can also look at what the harm is. And if you look at what the harm is, you likely have a pre-existing path. Let's say that you were discriminated against because someone used an automated decision-making system. And so you were unable to access a job. We have a charter. We have laws to manage when something like that happens. 
One of those pre-existing paths to protecting our privacy is ensuring our access to end-to-end encryption. That's when both sides of a communication are encoded so that third parties can't access it. And if the encryption is strong enough, even AI crawlers can't get through. Back in Bahrain, Ezra Shafi relies on end-to-end encryption, and she explained it's essential that Canada specifically ensures there are strong protections around it. End-to-end encryption, for me in particular, is the matter of life and death for so many people in my life when it comes to which messaging platform that they want to use. It really fully depends on how strong end-to-end encryption is. When implemented correctly, end-to-end encryption is significantly safer than the alternatives. Because it matters also not just that our communications in particular are end-to-end encrypted, but also how our data is stored, how it is transmitted, and how it's shared. But it's not the only thing that will ensure, or even at some cases guarantee, privacy and security, because there are still lots of metadata uh, that can be used and uh, also kind of weaponized against us. It's worth also mentioning that um, it's a big concern that influential figures in Canada, like Bill Blair, support restrictions on end-to-end encryption under the false premise of public safety. And those campaigns should not be entertained at the expense of an everyday web user in Canada. What she's referencing was in 2022, when Bill Blair signed a letter with other ministers of public safety around the world. It acknowledged the importance of end-to-end encryption, but it actually called for policies that would allow police forces to get around encryption to be able to find information they needed, for example, on criminals or child abusers. But Ezra says that creating loopholes in encryption actually does the opposite. It threatens the safety of everyone, even if it was meant to protect people. It's safety for all or safety for none. It really does come down to this. You know, having our data visible out there is so much more of a safety risk than end-to-end encryption. If I'm speaking with somebody in Canada and those communications are not end-to-end encrypted, that puts me all the way in Bahrain also at risk. Our new AI laws can include strong protections for our personal data if we want them to. As Canada moves forward to try to create guardrails around AI, it's important we know what we do matters globally. This is really, you know, how it becomes a global battle for privacy. It's borderless. The struggle for privacy is genuinely borderless and impacts all of us in more ways than I could possibly articulate. That was your Canada Land. If you value this podcast, I'm going to ask you to think about supporting it. We need supporters. We need people who listen to become people who pay for the journalism that they consume. As a supporter, you'll get premium access to all of our shows ad-free, including early releases and bonus content. You'll get our exclusive newsletter, discounts on our merch, invites and tickets to our events. More than anything, you will become a part of the solution to Canada's journalism crisis. This is going to be a tough year for this industry after a number of tough years for this industry. We need people to step up. You will be keeping our work free and accessible to everybody. 
Come join us now. Click on the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join. Don't think about it. Just do it. canadaland.com slash join. You can email me at jesse at canadaland.com. I read everything that you send. Our website is canadaland.com. You can sign up for our excellent weekly newsletter there. It is free. Cherie Sucherin reported this episode. Our senior producer is Bruce Thorson. Tristan Capicione is our audio editor and technical producer. Our managing editor is Annette Ajofor. Our editor-in-chief is Karen Puglese. I'm your host, Jesse Brown. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. You can listen to Canada Land ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.